Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number eight of this uh, weekday series called Your Questions, God's Questions. And this is a series where we answer all the questions that you can send in. And we're at number eight here, and they've been all fantastic questions, some of them very difficult to answer. And uh, when we're done looking at your questions, we're going to look at the questions that God has of us. And uh, it's quite interesting to see how many questions God asks in the Bible. Uh, There are many, uh, in fact, hundreds of them that he asks. And as I said yesterday, uh, Jesus often answered a question with a question. Uh, We would sometimes consider that rude today, but uh, that is what he did. And he got people thinking, and I encourage you to ask those questions because... Sometimes those unanswered questions that you have can lead you down a road where your faith starts to crumble. And it's tragic because sometimes there are answers to those questions and you never get them, but they're there. And um, not every single question that we ask this side of eternity can be answered, uh, but certainly many of them can. And so that's what we're going to do. And I encourage people to ask questions, ask God questions, He's not too big to answer them. He's not intimidated by them, and I think he welcomes it. So uh, we're going to continue with that today, and uh, I encourage you to share this feed. Uh, Those of you who are watching on Facebook, go ahead and hit that share button. If you're listening on uh, Podbean or Apple Podcasts, share it. If you're on our website, you can share it from there as well. We're at citypointchurch.ca. And, of course, Facebook at City Point Quebec. And you can search around for those names on those podcast platforms, and you'll find us there as well. So, today we are dealing with a question about death and the afterlife. And the question is, does the soul sleep at death? Now, this opens up a whole subject when it comes to the afterlife. Uh, But I'm just going to deal with one part of it. Uh, as that is what this question uh, entails. And I think this was asked of me many months ago. We had started this in our church and and uh, COVID hit and um, things started to change. And so we kind of paused it. Now I'm picking it back up in this format. So this came a while ago, but it's always on people's minds. Uh, what happens when you die? What happens? Is there a soul? Is there a spirit? What happens? Is the, Does the soul sleep? would refer to an idea that um, the immaterial part of, of man, uh, sometimes called the soul or the spirit, uh, sleeps at physical death, and it's a, a temporary sleep until some sort of future resurrection. And uh, we sometimes call this soul sleep when we talk about it in theology. What does the Bible teach about this? What does the Bible teach about the soul, the spirit? What does the Bible teach about what happens at death? Well, there are some startling things that we see in the Scripture, and um, I will uh, I'll start in um, in Second Peter uh, today because that's where we are in our church uh, on Sunday mornings online at uh, eleven a.m. We're going through the letters of Peter. Yes, that Peter. <laughs> We're going through his letters, and in Second Peter. Uh, chapter 1, he says this, and we actually went over this yesterday in a different way. Um, He's talking about reminding the people of the things that he taught them. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent 
of the body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Okay, so this man <laughs> referred to his body as a tent. Uh, again, an image that Paul used as well. Uh, an image that Peter used. Tents were very common back in that time. He's using his, uh, the tent as an image to describe his body. And he's saying he's going to put it aside. He, Peter, is going to put his body Aside, He draws a distinction between who he is and his physical body here. Interesting. I know that I will put it aside and he's departing. He's going somewhere. So what, how is he putting it aside? Where is he going? He seems to be very confident of this. And not only is he confident of this, Paul is confident of this, and he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 being away from the body and at home with the Lord. But while he's in the body, he's away from the Lord. But when he's away from the body, he's at home with the Lord. And he's talking about this in the context of death. In Philippians chapter 1, he talks about departing and going to be with Christ. And he's kind of torn between the two. He wants to go and be with Christ, but he says it'd be better for you if I remain in the body. So here, these, uh, these two writers clearly believe in a distinction between their physical body and them and who they are. Um, so they're drawing a distinction there. Interesting. Um, if we continue to look through the New Testament, we see all kinds of things. Um, they're picking up on things that, that Jesus talked about. So in the Gospels, for example, uh, Mark chapter 12, you have a situation there where the Sadducees, which is a group of Jews who did not believe in uh, the afterlife, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, did not believe in um, angelic beings and things of this nature, uh, in contrast to the Pharisees who did believe in these things. And the Sadducees, they, they come to Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 18, and we're told by Mark there that they say there's no resurrection, and they come to Jesus with a question, and they give him what, they, what we call the seven brides for seven brothers uh, trick question. And they say, hmm, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Oh boy, I'm glad we're not under that law today, but this is the Mosaic law uh, of, uh, you know, 3,500 years ago. Um, and so, uh, they propose him a question and they say now there are seven brothers and the first one married and died and he didn't have any children and the second one married the widow according to the law right and but he also died leaving no child and, and it was the same with the third in fact none of the seven left any children the poor woman it's not really seven brides for seven brothers but uh is one bride for seven brothers the poor woman 
In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. Well, um, at the resurrection, remember, they don't believe in that. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Haha, <laughs> since all seven were married to her, we've got you. We've got you pinned in a corner. And Jesus replied, wow, what a reply he gives. Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. This would have irritated them. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about angels, the very same thing that they rejected. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses? They were quoting from Moses, right? Have you not read in the book of Moses? In the account of the bush. Yes, that would be the burning bush where God speaks to Moses. Remember the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments, right? Uh, have you not heard, read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, you are badly mistaken. And what he's implying there is that even when God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these people were dead when God is saying he's their God, speaking through the bush to Moses. Implication, they're alive somewhere. In God's mind, they're, they're alive. So the perception of the Sadducees is completely incorrect. Uh, we go to, for example, the Transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured uh, in Matthew chapter 17, for example. And who shows up? Moses and Elijah, two dead men, Moses and Elijah. And they are uh, having a conversation, uh, we're told, uh, with Jesus. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 17. You can read it on your own, verses 1 to uh, about nine, but Moses and Elijah are there on that mountain uh, with Jesus. Well, I thought they were dead. Well, they appear to be alive and ha appear in this temporary moment. Uh, last example we'll give, but there are many more. Um, this is the the crucifixion of Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 23. Uh, Luke chapter 23, if you want to fish that out on your own, you can do that. And you have a, a conversation, a brief dialogue um, that Jesus has with these two criminals who are being executed on Roman crosses with him. And one of them is skeptical, jaded in the way that he responds to Jesus. The other, not so much. Uh, the other one says this, um, Don't you fear God? to the kind of unrepentant criminal. Don't you fear God? Since we are under the same sentence, we are getting uh, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he's identifying Jesus as somehow going to live beyond this moment of the cross and death. Nobody survived a Roman cross. Everybody died 
uh, Romans were professional executioners and the Roman uh, crucifixions were amongst the most brutal form of the death penalty ever foisted on the minds of men. Some of these criminals, it would take them days to die. And um, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How does he know Jesus is a king? How does he know he has a kingdom? When's that kingdom going to come? Right? Remember Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, he's saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he's identifying Jesus as a king, something clearly supernatural about him. He's going to defy death somehow. He's going to have a kingdom. And Jesus gives him this famous answer. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, (laughs) this would have been extremely comforting to that criminal because what Jesus is saying to him is, I'm coming into my kingdom and I'm coming into my kingdom today and you're going to see it. This is not going to be in some distant future thing. Um, You will be with me in paradise today. It's going to start now. Now, the ultimate benefits of the kingdom have not yet come, uh, obviously, but um, this would have been so, this would have given that criminal like a, a breath of hope to face his impending death. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What we see in the Bible, and you have to read it from cover to cover to ascertain this because we don't see much of this in the Old Testament. We see little bits and pieces, but not much of it. This is really quite expanded upon by Jesus and the the writers of the New Testament. What we see is an immediate separation. So the immaterial part of the person, the soul, the spirit, these terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament and in the whole Bible, separates from the body. The tent is put aside. And the soul, the spirit, passes into eternity in a conscious fashion, experiencing eternity in a conscious fashion. Now, the scripture teaches, and we've, we've talked about hell before in these, in these little podcasts, uh, the scripture teaches there is an eternal uh, home for those in Christ, the, those who have been forgiven of their sin, um, and, and have come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is an eternal home in heaven. Those who have rejected God, who have clearly said, you know, we'll do things our own way, rejected God's revelation to them, and completely rejected the offer of salvation, end up eternally separated from God. But both are conscious. We see this in Luke chapter 16, for example, rich man and Lazarus. Uh, both are conscious. Lazarus is in this place of paradise, and uh, or what was called Abraham's side back in that day. And the rich man who who uh, lived in such a way that he rejected uh, God and God's love is in this place of torment. It's a very graphic story, but both are alive, both are conscious, both have their memories intact. Um, and so there doesn't seem to be any evidence at all in the Bible for some sort of soul sleep where the person dies, physical body dies, 
And for all intents and purposes, the person doesn't experience anything. There's no consciousness after death until some sort of future resurrection, who knows when. There's no evidence of this uh, in the Bible. On the contrary, what we see is the soul, the spirit, continues into eternity. There will be a future bodily resurrection, but there isn't this type of soul sleep preceding that. Okay, This is what the Bible uh, says. And, um, you know, <laughs> you may be on the other end of this camera or listening to this and say, well, I don't believe that. I mean, that's up to you. Uh, I do. And I do because of the historic resurrection of Jesus, uh, from the dead. That is on, uh, that is the, uh, the hanger on which I, I, I hang my hat. Uh, but that is the answer to the question. There is no soul sleep. So I hope that's a, uh, an explanation, an encouragement for you. And I uh, look forward to being with you again tomorrow for day number nine of Your Questions, God's Questions. Until then, God bless you.